Hello, how's it going? This is Unanimous Indecision. I'm Joshua Troop, and we are at it again. We're talking about movies, TV shows, the works. Um, not a lot of news this week, but still some interesting stories. Uh, so I decided to watch not one, not two, but three movies this week. I almost made it a four um, as far as new movies go. Um but left it at three, figured that would be good enough to fill this episode. Uh, I'm very excited to talk about those movies before I get into it. Uh, for those of you, this is your first time listening to me. Uh, there are multiple ways you can find us. You can listen to us in audio format, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever podcasts are sold for free. Or you can also join us live on twitch.tv slash unanimous indecision where you can join the conversation, chat, and share your thoughts and theories about what, whatever it is we're talking about or whatever movies you're a fan of. Um, and we can just have a conversation. You know, that's what it's all about. Uh, because this, these are the kinds of conversations you have uh, around the water cooler at work or the lunch table at school, wherever you talk about movies and TV shows. So, of course, we spoil things here. Um, and I say we, but it is just the royal we, meaning just me. And uh, I'll be talking about these three movies, also getting into the movie news. I'm very excited to do so. Uh, so, the three movies are um and again because it's just me uh when, whenever it's just me you can always expect a, a shorter episode probably closer to an hour rather than the classic two hours um but also short news week so we'll we'll see how it goes uh but i've got three movies this week uh i watched boss baby 2 uh no sudden move and the tomorrow war so uh that that'll be super fun uh, to start us off, I guess I'm just going to jump right into Boss Baby 2, uh, which was kind of the only movie I was initially planning on reviewing until I think last week when I was looking things up. I was like, oh, wait, Tomorrow War is coming out, so I guess I have to watch it. It was one of my most anticipated movies. Uh, but so Boss Baby 2, I was definitely planning on it. Uh, so, I, so I went to the theater. I watched it. Um, and... It's not as good as the first one. I think the first one really captured kind of a, this this creative idea of the boss baby. Uh, and it worked. It worked for the first one. It's an enjoyable movie. Um, it's pretty funny. It's got some great moments. Um, that being said, the second movie's not a bad movie. I, I think it's fine. Um, again, not as good as the first one, but definitely very watchable. It was very enjoyable. I thought there were significant moments that I, a 24-year-old man, thought were very humorous. Um, I thought it was pretty funny, the whole idea that he's now grown up. Or they're both grown up. Both brothers are grown up. Uh, I thought that was done well. And then but they have to go back into baby form. So, so it's a little bit of a twist and like, it's unclear how much even the, 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 the original boss baby even remembers being part of baby corp. Uh, it's at, at the beginning. It seems like he doesn't remember too much. He's just got a boss mentality, but or managerial mentality, but doesn't necessarily remember the specifics about baby corp. But then throughout the movie, it's, seems like he that, that might have been a little inconsistent or maybe i was reading into the subtext wrong but uh the subtext of boss baby too uh but now the the daughter uh 
not the daughter of the boss baby, but the daughter of Tim, I think. Yeah, I, I forget which one's Tim and which one's Ted. Uh, the daughter of Tim is uh, also from Baby Corp. And <laughs> the, it was a little contrived that like Baby Corp just like didn't care enough about this mission. It seemed pretty important um, considering they sent someone in the first place to deal with it to stop. I don't remember the villain, Jeff Goldblum. Uh, who I think voiced the villain. I could be wrong. Um, from basically getting rid of parents, enslaving parents. Um, yeah, not, so that babies can rule the world. You know, the, the typical James Bond villain idea. Uh, and so basically they send a baby down, but then she gets her dad and her uncle to enroll at this school to solve the problem for her. I mean, I get it. Like she, she wanted them to be, to be happier, to have a good relationship, which like is great and all, but I'm not quite sure why baby court cared about this. Like, well, I guess they didn't, but like they never send additional help thinking that they shouldn't handle this so it's weird but whatever um uh but yeah i mean and and in doing so i mean he his relationship tim's relationship with his daughter is also at that first impasse of a father-daughter relationship where you know every kid doesn't necessarily want to all, all of a sudden one day they don't want to be kissed good night you know that I, I guess that happens um I don't have kids, so. <laughs> uh, but but I I sort of remember that day where I was like, no, I'm I'm an adult. I, I don't want to kiss my parents goodnight. But you know, and then you you get you get older and you kind of go back and you're just like, oh no, I it's not that big a deal. Like I'm not against it, and I kind of appreciate that my parents are just there for me. Uh, and, and this movie kind of goes through that journey. Uh, and like when he has to enroll in the school uh, as a, I don't know, eight year old or something. Um, and he's put in the same class as his daughter. He gets to see like what his daughter's actually really good at and the things she struggles with and, you know, who she actually is as a person rather than just all of uh, his creativity and the entire family kind of living vicariously through his imagination. Um, and it, because they have a very right brain, left brain relationship, which I think a lot of people have with their parents. Um, I don't think that's uncommon. And so, so I think the movie actually captured that relationship super well and it was super entertaining. Um, but yeah, it, it's definitely a kid's movie. I mean, the, the villain kind of just like tells the the heroes the, his whole plan and makes us think that he doesn't know that our heroes are undercover and then all of a sudden he does know. So I'm not sure what the giveaway was. It definitely became super obvious eventually, but yeah, I don't know. But otherwise, sure, his whole plan is just to enslave parents. And it's a movie about, you know, the family unit and why that's that's good and 
important and it should be saved. Um, which maybe is a family we need nowadays. <laughs> um, although it was really interesting how it definitely, it, it was weird from like a baby perspective. Cause I think a lot of people in my generation blame my parents' generation for the problems we have. Um, and we don't necessarily understand in some cases, I mean, sure, maybe, maybe they are to blame in, in other cases, but in some cases we don't necessarily understand the catalyst that got us to this place as a society. Um, and so we, we don't, we don't necessarily, we, we haven't been alive long enough to have too much perspective about events. Um, and so it's really interesting seeing these babies being like, oh, we're, we're blaming our parents for all kinds of problems that are going on in the world for, for the economy. And for, and it's like, well, sure, I guess that is sort of our parents to blame, but it's like, you don't understand what pandemics happened to cause the like, like think about 10 years from now, like what the impact of COVID will be to our economy. And with that, obviously I'm not going to get too political with this. I'm just throwing out a hypothetical, um, but like 10 year impact to our economy from pandemic. If you're, I don't know, 12 by then you're not going to have any, conception about what the pandemic did to this country did to the world and so like it's a little bit weird to like just totally blame the previous generation it's like sure maybe they mishandled it but you didn't understand how hard it could have been to handle it maybe um and how, how many different factors there were at the time so you know the the younger generation doesn't have the perspective uh, and I'm talking about this about my generation, about myself, that I don't always have the perspective uh, that sometimes you just want someone to blame for a bad situation, which is kind of what this movie does. And then it has a really wholesome, wholesome ending uh, by, you know, may maybe the parents aren't to blame for everything. And look, look at all the good they provide these babies um, and all the antagonist really wanted is he just wanted that family unit back that he left and so yeah really wholesome um there's not too much to go into about this i don't think um yeah so i'll jump into the next movie um again really brief reviews uh no sudden move uh this was on hbo max and um I do not understand why this movie didn't go to theaters. I, I think now I could be wrong, but I guess, I guess this year movies that go to streaming do qualify for the Oscars and whatnot. Cause I feel like there's a slim chance. I, I don't think it's a likely chance, but there's a slim chance this movie gets nominated for something. Um, and so it's, in previous years, if it went to streaming, it was uh, it didn't qualify uh, if it didn't have an exclusive theatrical release. Uh, I think I, I don't remember the wording of it um, that it would wouldn't count for the Oscars. And so I, I don't remember what all the rules are, but I think this year it is OK. But I, I think this movie is going to be one of those movies that's uh, criminally underwatched because I think it was a fantastic movie. Uh, no Sudden Move was awesome. It's by a director I'm a pretty big fan of his films, Steven Soderbergh, um, who did like all the Oceans films. I think I was talking about Oceans 14 possibilities last week. 
but yeah, he did this movie and it got me really excited. Also him partnering up with Don Cheadle again, who's in those movies. Um, also Benicio del Toro's in it. Uh, Matt Damon shows up at one point. Uh, Brendan Frazier's in it for a decent amount of the movie. Um, and so, but it's just a really enjoyable movie. It's about, it's sort of completely about the mafia, but it's about these two like underlings that are the lowest totem poles. They're the mafia different mafias even but they're just basically they, they they're i don't know what you call them but they're they just they just do jobs you know they they get hired for a job and they do it and then that's it they get a cut of it and they're out uh and so they get hired on for like this very small amount of money but they're all just they all have their reasons for taking it there's like three of them um but then things go sideways and it doesn't work out um but, but it's really interesting because they're like holding this family like hostage more or less. Well, no, more. They, they're holding this family hostage. Uh, but <laughs> they're like, I don't know. They're, they're so unprofessional about it. They're like totally just like chilling with the family. They're like, hey, why, what are you playing there? <laughs> um, and they're just like, hey, just don't mess with us and nothing bad will happen because we're just here to watch over you. Everything's going to resolve itself and we can just walk away. No big deal. Um, <laughs> but of course the thing they're looking for isn't actually there. And so they have to adapt. And one of the guys is told ordered just to kill everyone. And it's really crazy. Um, the, the one thing I did think was weird that, I think it was talking about the oceans movies, almost a little bit like a heist movie. Um, even though it was kind of a mobster movie. And so there, there were certain times where it didn't necessarily feel like it fit. I think it really worked at the beginning, but towards the end where it became more and more of a mobster movie rather than there were certain heist elements of the beginning of the movie. Um, that it was just like very jumpy that it was like, now we're following this character again. Oh, let's catch up what that character was doing. Oh, let's do this guy um, or this person. And, and so it kind of just hopped around from person to person. Um, I don't want to say a little jarringly, but it was like, is very, very specific in style. Um, I think it worked for the movie. I mean, uh, it's called no sudden move and it's constantly giving you sudden moves. Uh, and that's kind of the whole point of the movie is that everyone is making sudden moves or at least the appearance of sudden moves to other characters um, that people are getting backstabbed left and right and people are getting betrayed and there's new loyalties being drawn up. And so that there's constant shiftings of agendas in this film that, that no sudden move, there's constant sudden moves like they they would have gotten easier had with the exception of the first big sudden move that that's definitely necessary um to keep you know living through the movie but <laughs> uh but yeah they, there's constant changes of of decisions uh ray Liotta's in it he's got to be in every mobster movie right um 
And it's really good because like these two guys were following Benicio del Toro's character and Don Cheadle's character. They they both like hate this guy named Frank who's played by Ray Liotta, and they're both like he's trying to kill us. He's trying to kill us, and then he's not really trying that hard to kill them. Like if he kills them, he kills them. But otherwise, he doesn't really care. Uh, <laughs> but you you they're slowly they they're working so hard to get this this file um that they're initially hired to get and about halfway probably probably even a third of the way through the movie they eventually get the file which is kind of through humorous means but uh, <laughs> uh they eventually get the file and then it becomes about like all right well we were definitely set up so who are we actually going to sell the file to because someone still wants it and they'll pay us for it but we got to be careful that they don't like kill us for it and so they're like, all right, well, let's go to instead of the guy who hired us, let's go to the guy above him and just just completely bypass him. And so they go to this guy, Frank, and he <laughs> and then you get a betrayal, but then it's a double betrayal, like all good mobster movies uh, and heist films. Uh, and, and so uh, that one doesn't work out. So they have to go even higher at the totem pole. And so it's really funny because they're going up to, to like worse and worse mobsters, but at the same time they're getting offered more and more money. So they're key. They're like, Oh, I don't want to work with this guy, but then they're like, but there's more money. And so maybe we will keep going. And so they keep going up the totem pole and, slowly they eventually get to like the top of the line which isn't even a mobster anymore it's the guy who hired the mobsters um because they realize that there's an opportunity they try to organize a meeting where they get paid by this one of this really big mobsters and then also uh the guy who hired the mobster in the first place and and so it's like kind of a good plan if it isn't for like their pasts catching up with them. Um, <laughs> but it, it then turns out you, cause like you eventually find out what the file is and, it, and it's really interesting. Cause I, I started doing some research and so I think it was a really cool fictional story um, told with like the, the kind of setting of the real event uh, and I think that makes it super enjoyable that that knowledge and that background, because ultimately <laughs> it's about this uh, carburetor and the person who hired the mobsters in the first place to go steal this carburetor. Uh, it's the auto industry, the, the, the like five main or four main auto manufacturers um, trying to cover up uh, and uh, slow down the the development of carburetor technology um, because it'll be more expensive, but will expose that some of the current carburetors taking place in the 1960s. So the 1960s carburetors may not have been the most efficient and maybe a bit polluting. Um, but uh, but but it was really funny because like at the very end of the movie, it tells you about like the laws that were passed the antitrust laws that were passed to break up the auto industry so that they couldn't uh, stop the, the carburetor production anymore. Um, which, you know, gave us more efficient cars that we have today. 
uh, and, but the the story we got all before that totally fictional about yeah they would use the moth the auto industry was using the mafia in Chicago and or Detroit I don't remember um, and it's all about stealing this file and these two low level mobsters the the thing that I thought was really cool is that like at one time they get something like three hundred seventy five grand. Like that's what they're at. They're they're gonna get three hundred sixty five grand, which is a ton of money, and then it's a ton of nineteen sixties money. So so it's a ton of money, and they're that that's where they're at. They've got the money like in hand, uh, but of course, yet another betrayal. Uh, because that's the way this movie goes, and then there's even another betrayal afterwards. Uh, because even the cops are in on it, you know, like, <laughs> or maybe he wasn't a real cop. I don't know. Uh, and then, uh, what, what was that other thing? I think the thing that I thought was really funny is, uh, Don Cheadle's character from the very beginning, he's like, Hey, I'm just trying to go get this house that, or this property that I had, or that is owed to me something one way or another that he earned. Uh, but like he went to prison or something. And so he wasn't able to get it. So he just, he, he really wants this property. Um, but this guy's instead of just giving it to him because maybe, may, even though maybe it is his, he hasn't collected on it for like 10 years or whatever it was. And so it's not really his anymore. Um, so this guy's like charging him like five grand or something. And so he gets all the way up to like, he has 375 grand cash in hand. Um, and then he, he ends up getting rounded up by some different mafia people. And in talking with them, they're like, Hey, what do you want? What's the deal? And he's like, honestly, I just want the five grand. And it's so funny. Cause like the whole movie, he's so greedy that he a hundred uh it was like 50 grand's not enough 125 grand's not enough 375 grand is isn't even enough that we also want to rip off some of the mafia guys at the same time as this 375 grand number and so he he's being so greedy this whole time but i can't help but think that he isn't he knows exactly what he's doing um not that he's like a genius but he's got a little bit of foresight that he's like hey if i just keep going up and up and up the totem pole it's definitely going to get these guys attention and maybe i'll just be able to get like the probability we actually get away with this is so low that maybe i'll actually just get the five grand i actually need if we do make this job worth almost half a billion or half a million dollars um 375 grand if it, if it becomes worth that, maybe there's a good chance I'll be able to just get my five grand out of it, assuming you survive. And that's kind of what happens. And like, it feels that way that he's like, hey, I just want my five grand. I just want what's mine. That's it. And then I'm out of here. Um, and, and that's how it ends. And like, oh, huh. I guess may, it, it makes me think maybe he wasn't super greedy. Um, now, maybe it was. Maybe it was like he was just trying to see if he could continue to be super greedy. And then at the very end of it, he's just like, all right, well, I lost everything. Just please just give me my five grand and I'll be out of here. Uh, maybe that's what it was. But I, I felt like he was a little smarter because they kept talking about how the other guy 
is so bad at making plans. Uh, Benicio del Toro's character that he's so bad and he has no foresight. He can't envision people betraying him whatsoever. <laughs> um, and so like, which is funny because he's constantly like, not necessarily betraying people, but betraying their trust. Um, and, and so like, I don't know, but I really enjoyed it. I thought the acting was really well. Um, I thought the talking about the, um, in the 1960s, the mass development of, of urban cities uh, was cool for them to set it in during all of that. Um, I, I just thought the background of the film was really nice um, and like really captured in this film. Uh, I, I mean, like obviously so, as someone who didn't live through it, watching it, I, I was intrigued. It, it put me in that, that setting and then just threw this fictional story at me. Um, so I really enjoyed it. I thought it was good. Uh, like I said, I, I was definitely surprised. You got prominent director, prominent actors, a little bit surprised this thing didn't go to theaters, but, uh, is what it is in the time that it is. Uh, the last movie was the tomorrow war, uh, the Chris Pratt film with the future and aliens. Um, this was one of my top 10 most anticipated movies. I think this is actually maybe the first of my top 10. Did I have Godzilla versus Kong? I think I did. Okay. Oh yeah. I also had chaos walking just cause I had been hearing such intriguing things about it. This is only like the third of my top 10, although I'm not even sure all 10 of them are coming out this year anyways. Uh, so in my top 10, um, the tomorrow war with Chris Pratt, uh, I, I, I thought this movie was great. I really enjoyed it. It's not like phenomenal. It's not, it's not a quiet place, but it's good. It's enjoyable. It's a fun summer blockbuster alien movie. Um, uh, and it's got really wholesome themes in it. Um, I thought it was pretty funny. Uh, when it needed to be, but it definitely took itself seriously when it had to. Um, Cause Chris, Chris Pratt for the most part is playing this like pretty seriously. There, there's only a couple moments where he makes like dad jokes. He's playing the role of a dad, you know, so he'll, he'll have his dad jokes. Um, but it, it's one of those movies that like uh, Chekhov's gun applies like i think the, the idea of Chekhov's gun is that like if it exists it must be used in some way in the film and this movie i think uses everything um starts you off with like uh chris bratt's character doesn't get like the job offer that he's really trying to get because he doesn't have enough uh private industry experience and like at the end of the movie, he's basically doing something completely on his own. Um, or he's saving the world with it. And like, it's like, wow, they're, they're idiots. Cause he's a former military man and now he's a teacher. So he's always working for, for the public, for the service. Um, but they're like not enough private industry experience. And then we see all the stuff that he was able to do. And it was like, well, okay he clearly has enough experience to do anything uh, especially i think it was a research related job which became like the not even not the climax of the movie but uh kind of the midway point of the movie that, that's the thing i thought was interesting about this film is you kind of expect 
I definitely expected to have like a really sad ending. There were a lot of times where I was like, oh, he's not going to make it back. Where I was like, I mean, I guess there was a sad moment, but it kind of redeemed itself by them rewriting history and that moment potentially never happening. Uh, but uh, but there's this one kid in his class where he teaches science who's like a volcano fan. <laughs> a volcano geek um and they kind of just like brush it off that like oh what a what a geek at the beginning of the movie but then it becomes like important at the very end they're like we need an expert on volcanoes and he's like i know just the one and it's this kid in high school or whatever um <laughs> but like yeah i don't know it, it was super weird but i thought it was fun um uh, super interesting though how like the aliens worked and then how uh how they fought the the fight scenes were i think pretty cool just with all the soldiers trying to gun them down and being unsuccessful that was something i think the movie did really well in the first sequence um i i think that's something where we always wonder whenever we see kind of a new alien movie is okay how do these aliens work and i think a quiet place does it really well i think the first alien movie does it super well but this movie i think uh just add another one to the list because the whole first sequence the first time they see one or two of them um they almost go through like a sequence of like what works and what doesn't work without telling you what works and what doesn't work it's just completely shown that hey, you're shooting them and they're turning their back towards you and it doesn't look like it's doing any damage. You can shoot them in the face. And again, it doesn't look like it's doing too much damage. It's doing more than the back, but still not great. And then um, the head tails are like shooting spikes and you see that very clearly. Uh, and the way they run is very obvious. And then... Um, they shoot one of them like from the neck or the belly and they're like, Oh, that is really effective. And then one of the guys even says that's the only thing that's effective. Uh, and that character I thought was really interesting because so they're basically the idea is that humanity's at war in 30 years with this alien race that are just here to wipe us out. Basically um, they're very, they're just here to eat, you know? And um, so people in the future, they're recruiting people who are going to die in the next 30 years, potentially to avoid any paradoxes that basically like, hey, you're going to die in the next 30 years anyways, which means in 30 years, the future didn't really need you, which I don't know if I necessarily agree with that argument. Because like if you lived 29 years, that doesn't mean that you didn't have an impact on that future. But that's their thinking. And I mean, they're basically expecting a humanity extinction in like a few weeks <laughs> from when uh, Chris Pat's character finally gets drafted. And they draft people from all around the world. Uh, but then uh, but there's this one guy who's gone like three times and it's really interesting because they kind of tell people like when they're going to die. They don't necessarily say how. Um, but they just say that like Chris Pratt's character only has like seven more years to live. But they don't miss. I don't remember if they explained how or why. 
Well, I think later in the movie they did, but not at the beginning. Um, but this other guy, he's like, this is third time going to the future and you, your tour is only for a week, but only 20% of people make it back. Um, that's how, that's how intense that the future is. And so this guy's going for his third time and he's like, why do you keep coming back? Like, and he's like, I die of cancer in six months. And it's like, geez, that's so heavy. And here he is just, you know, going through the motions cut and he he says that it's because he thinks like everything's pointless but then he's like but you're doing exactly the opposite you're trying to save humanity <laughs> even though you're you're claiming that that everything's pointless your actions don't support that it's like sure maybe you're putting your life constantly on the line in the thought that like maybe you won't make it back but that way is actually to save humanity. You're, you're sacrificing yourself, not just for yourself, but for humanity. Uh, and so I thought his character was super interesting. And he was kind of like the expert of the team. Um, but then quickly, because like Chris Pratt has actual military experience, um, he's like the leader of their first time squad kind of thing. Um, but the thing I thought was really interesting about this movie is that, you know, you expect the movie to end with like, yay, they defeat the aliens, which I guess is how it ends, but, <laughs> uh, you expect, yay, they defeated the aliens in the future or them to like screw up and need to keep going back and forth between time periods. Uh, but no, they only jump one. So then they come back and that's it. Um, but the stuff they learned in the future was super relevant to the past. And uh, they end up learning that the aliens like were here all along, which I thought was really interesting that they're here. They've been here for like 1500 years, but they were just like frozen in ice. Um, and then they, there's like a whole second half of this movie. Cause it almost seems like, Again, this is like <laughs> that. That was the theme of this week, I guess, uh, between Tomorrow War and Boss Baby 2. Had I not watched No Sudden Move, that kind of messed it all up. But like kids who, uh, kids who misjudge their parents, and then also parents who are, don't necessarily know how to handle their kids, uh, I feel like was the theme of these two movies. Um, and so like you get these two different relationships in the movie at the very beginning, Chris Pratt, like goes to JK Simmons, who's his dad. And he's awesome in this movie. Um, and like, they have a very strained relationship. Like he hates him. Uh, but yeah, at the end of the day there, he's like, Hey, you're, you're my son. I'm I'll, I'll do anything for you. You know, uh, even though he's like, but you left me when I was a kid, you know, all that fun stuff that, that happens in, uh, unfortunately. And, uh, but like you have that relationship, then his relationship with his daughter is like, she, she like really looks up to him, but he's, he's trying to fulfill his own dreams. And so sometimes that, that diminishes the opportunity. Uh, like we see her, his daughter comfort him instead of the other way around, which like shows you that the relationships may be a little out of balance. Um, 
but by the end of it, like all these things he learns throughout the movie, he's able to to repair his relationship with his father, repair his relationship with his daughter, and you know everything's able to work out hunky dory. Uh, but yeah, I just I, I thought it was super interesting. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, it wasn't anything more than I expected it to be. Wasn't anything less. I wanted a, a punch gunfight alien movie and that's what I got. And that's, that's about it. Um, I was actually surprised that I got all this family stuff in it. Cause I thought it gave it a nice backbone to the film. Um, kind of like a quiet place does talking about aliens and family. Uh, that that's something that I think that film captures perfectly. Um, and, and this film definitely tried to do a lot of that. Um, just the much bigger scope. Um, if you saw the boss, I, I'm getting a message from Keemstar. Keemstar, uh, what would you do if the you saw the boss baby in real life, like an actual baby? Like, like I have some nephews. What if my nephew was the boss baby? That's how I'm going to interpret this question. Uh, that'd be wild. I I'd be losing it. I mean, I guess the fact that like I have the context of having seen Boss Baby. But in a world where like the boss baby movies don't exist and a baby just starts talking to me, telling me they're from baby corp. Um, man, that'd be, that'd be pretty shocking. I don't know. I feel like there'd definitely be a couple hours where I'd think there's a significant like mental problem in my head. Um, but then I don't know. It'd be interesting. It'd, cer it'd certainly be wild. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I just think I was crazy first. Um, and of course, like the way boss baby works is like, they only ever tell like one person. So you'd be the only person that knows, uh, that'd be difficult, but it'd be cool. I mean, especially if it was like, you know, it, the boss baby's like his, his younger brother, um, or then his daughter. So like, if it is someone related to you, like you could all of a sudden you could start having that, that mature level relationship that you have with like your family at such a young age that I feel like you could have so many memories. That'd be awesome. Um, because like, you know, when, when you have a sibling who's a baby or a cousin who's a baby, you know, they're a baby the way you're not having like that much of a relationship. It's a very one-sided relationship. Um, but with the boss baby, they've got like, fully adult intelligence and they've got like managerial skills uh that you're like hey you're my younger brother let's go start a lemonade stand and they're like an infant but they're still contributing and so you get all of those memories um from the very beginning rather than post age four or whatever um so yeah just a lot more opportunities for memories so i think that'd be that'd be pretty fun um but yeah, that's a great question though. Um, but what would you think of boss baby two? If you've had a chance to see it, otherwise just the first boss baby, uh, in the meantime, um, I just, before I transition over to movie news, uh, I just want to remind everyone there's many ways you can find us, Apple podcasts, Spotify, twitch.tv slash unanimous indecision or wherever podcasts are sold for free. Um, so don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, follow at all of those locations. It helps other people find them, helps the algorithm suggest the podcast to other people. And 
uh, yeah, just will help grow the number and give me more encouragement to continue doing this. We're only 102 episodes in. It's not like I'm going anywhere. But uh, also we do three shows here. We do this one where we talk a uh, movie. Uh, this week it was three movies, Boss Baby 2, Tomorrow War, and No Sudden Move. Um, and then also get into movie news, which I'll be talking about in a second. Also, um, on Fridays, do a Loki show at 6 p.m. Eastern time. We'll be reviewing episode five. Uh, I already watched episode five. It was an awesome episode. Can't wait to talk about it. I'll be joined with by Ian, I think, um, per usual. And typically Saturdays we do Bad Batch, which I think of this will be episode 11. Uh, unfortunately, I'll be out of town for like the next whole week. Um, so might combine the Bad Batch and Loki show together. I haven't decided how it's going to go down. Friday might be a super long show or we'll just skip a week and see what happens. Um, let's see. Uh, Keemstar Keemstar said... Uh, wouldn't it also imply that you were a former boss baby? Really? Was Tim a boss baby though? I didn't think Tim was a boss baby in the first one. Was he? I might be confusing Tim and Ted, the older brother. I didn't think the older brother was a boss baby, but he was able to understand his younger brother. I don't know why he has the power. Maybe that is what it is, though. That could make sense. Um, I also think, though, that like anyone could just understand the boss baby. It's just the boss babies. Maybe, maybe like what you're saying, they can only reveal themselves to other former boss babies. But then, who, how did the? I guess the first one didn't reveal themselves to anyone. I don't know. Um, <laughs> it's a weird idea, boss baby man. Weird world they built. Uh, And then, uh, so getting on to news, uh, there's not too much to talk about, but if you're listening to us in the chat, feel free to share your thoughts about these. Um, quite a lot of news about things that are starting production in a year. <laughs> um, we learned that Paddington three has a production start date um, all the way out in 2022 um, is when they're going to start filming that. Um, but it's having all of the Paddington 1 and Paddington 2 collaborators involved. Um, I think that's cool. I, I mean, there, there are some people that are like ride or die by this very wholesome franchise. So yeah, more wholesome movies. Let's do it. Um, should be good. Uh, I, I'm, I haven't seen either of the first two, but I know a lot of people when they hear Paddington, they, they just really enjoy it. Uh, and then, uh, the other one we have, uh, is, uh, the old guard Two Netflix movie, um, old guard, uh, was that Charlie's Theron movie about those immortal people? Uh, that I guess crop up every once in a while, maybe I don't remember. Every once in a while, an immortal is born or something, um, and they've like fought in every war throughout human history, and but now they're being hunted because people have learned about them and are trying to gain their immortality or whatever. Um, 
because I forget how it works. But uh, yeah, it was, it was an okay movie. I, I thought it was fine. Um, I think it might even be based on a graphic novel or something. Uh, but yeah, it's apparently getting a sequel, which I, I think it deserves because I think it brought up a lot of interesting points that it never really delved into with their like mythos. Uh, but, and then also the ending, they, they constantly alluded to this one person being dead. And then you found out at the end that that person wasn't dead. And it was like so much worse than that. Um, they were like put into a box at the bottom of the ocean and it had like holes in it. So they were constantly drowning, but not dying which was like, man, that's the worst kind of torture, I think, because they still feel pain, but they just like their bodies repair themselves. Uh, but yeah, so Old Guard 2 uh, starting filming in 2022 as well. Also, we've got um, some that started production now, I think a couple days ago. Uh Black Panther 2 Wakanda Forever uh, just started production um, along with a, a bunch of other movies, turns out. John Wick Chapter 4, uh, Aquaman 2, I feel like we talked about that last week, Knives Out 2, um, and then Marvel with Black Panther 2 Wakanda Forever. Um, yeah, Kevin Feige confirmed that they started production in Atlanta. Ryan Coogler's returning to direct. Um, I think we're all very curious what this story is going to entail, uh, given the death of Chadwick Boseman, who played the titular role of Black Panther. Um, but I, I, the, the way I always look at it, despite that being like a pretty big devastation to to cinema, but also to uh, to this franchise. Uh, I mean, he played T'Challa. And I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. I, I say this about every character that actors are there to fulfill a, a director's vision in this case it's it's even above that uh, in some ways it's a creator's vision like kevin feige um but then on a smaller scope the director's vision uh ryan coogler they're they're that is their job to fulfill someone else's vision um uh, with comic book characters they're filling the role of this comic book character that has maybe been around for decades and um almost centuries in so, some of their cases that like I say with any character in cinema, you can recast them. I say that any character in cinema, Indiana Jones, James Bond, obviously they've already done it five times. Iron Man, Black Panther's no exception in my mind, um, that every character is recastable um, because I think it's more important that you give uh, the characters their, their, uh, their story arc. Now I'm not saying their story arc as in it specifically has to be what's their comic book story. I'm just saying that like you, you give them that the, the specific upbringing, the downfall, the redemption, the betrayals and, and all those things you, you give the character everything that you envisioned it to have, regardless of who's playing that role. 
Um, now I'm pretty sure Marvel said they're not going that route and okay, that's fine. Um, I'm okay with it. Um, so I think we're all interested to see how, uh, the black Panther movie will continue maybe without T'Challa, but maybe someone else will become black Panther. I think is what everybody's thinking. Um, yeah, it'll, it'll be exciting. Uh, I'm, I'm super excited for that movie. Cause I think Ryan Coogler's done a great job in the movies he's directed. Um, and also see that cast again. I mean, we, we got a, we got IO again in uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier, and that was a great addition. Maybe even Bucky will show up in Black Panther too. That'd be cool. Um, speaking of that rumor, huge other rumor that I put zero stock in whatsoever. Um, but Hugh Jackman, if you don't know who Hugh Jackman is, he's played the Wolverine for like 20 years or something. Maybe it was 15 years. Um, he's played the Wolverine in seven movies. Oh no, three, six, seven, no, like 10 movies, right? Um, but he shared an image from Boss Logic, which is Wolverine Claws. He did that uh, on July 4th, right? Like, whoa, <laughs> that's a weird 4th of July post. Um, I mean, I don't think Hugh Jackman's even American, right? Isn't he an Aussie or a Canadian or something? Um, and then he also posted a picture or boss logic. No, no, he did post a picture with Kevin Feige. Um, uh, and so everyone, the internet is a buzz, um, thinking, Hey, Hugh Jackman is back playing the Wolverine in the MCU. And sure. That'd be cool. I'd, I'd be into that. Um, it'll be interesting cause I'm sure they're going to cast a bunch of young actors, for the rest of the X-Men. So I feel like he'll be the oldest one and you kind of can't really have the will there. Won't they of Wolverine and Jean gray? If he's like 50 um, and Jean gray is like 20, it'd be a little, little, little uncomfortable maybe uh, for some people to watch that uh, <laughs> and also to film it. Um, but uh otherwise is it just him having fun i mean i think i think he loves the wolverine character um i i think he could post about wolverine year round if he wanted to uh but otherwise i mean maybe he will have something i mean there there's always that talk with uh i know they're still working on the deadpool 3 script and i know ryan reynolds always talks about hey i want to get hugh jackman's wolverine in that movie in a deadpool movie he wants them to to work together uh, and they constantly fight about it online and whatever but uh yeah i think i think they're gonna have to do a lot more than this to convince me that it's actually happening um oh well what about the hugh jackman and kevin feige post oh right that must be confirming it well actually kevin feige was an associate producer on the very first x-men movie kevin feige's first intrigue into the mc into marvel into superheroes even was not uh iron man he he's been around for a long time in the superhero world um and very involved in those early x-men movies so i'm sure they've got a great friendship that like hey you two p two actors post two friendly film production people such as a 
director or creator um, posts a picture with, I wonder if people would think, I, I imagine they would, uh, Christopher Nolan and uh, Christian Bale post a picture together. Do you think, I feel like the the internet would be a buzz with Batman 4, Dark Knight 4 rumors, um, even though I don't think that's happening at all. <laughs> but, which is kind of the way this feels, is that like, if it was anyone else, the, there probably wouldn't be that many rumors. It'd be like, hey, look, it's two friends hanging out. Um, but because it is the Wolverine, because it's the MCU, everyone's like yeah what if that would be cool because we want it it must be true uh but they're gonna have to do a little bit more than this to actually confirm it um the next article we've got oh yeah who remembers steven dorf um i mean i'm sure a lot of people remember him from true detective but he did play, I think, the very first. Nope, that's just wrong. Never mind. I take that back. But he played the first Marvel villain that a lot of people will think of <laughs> when they think of earliest Marvel villain. Um, he played Deacon Frost in 1998's Blade. Um, and he, he said some not so friendly comments. But I wonder... If that means he's coming back, hear me out. It's it's a crazy idea. He said some not-so-friendly comments, and I'll get to them in a second, but I think that could mean he's actually coming back to Marvel. And the person I quote is... Give me a moment. Got to look up his name now. <laughs> um, Ethan Hawke. I believe Ethan Hawke made some negative comments about superhero movies. He was like, they, they're not film all the, all this stuff. He, he made a lot of negative things towards it. Um, and then what happened? It was revealed that he was cast as the villain for the moon Knight show. And he's a terrific actor. So I'm super excited for that. Um, regardless of me disagreeing with his comments. Um, and he, he could still, you could even, these people don't need to like superhero properties. They don't. They just need to appreciate the character and want to do the character justice and do the, the director's vision justice. People who portray, who, who act in a role, they don't need to love the genre they're in. They just need to do their job. They just need to act. They Their whole job is about pretending. They don't even have to pretend to like it. They just have to pretend to be that character. They just have to pretend to be in a Western or whatever. Uh, pretend to be this Moon Knight villain. Um, and uh, so like, I don't need the actors to like the genre of superhero films. I don't need them to like it. I just need them to, to, do, their, to, to do their job well. Uh, if they phone it in, that's not cool of them, you know, um, doesn't doesn't respect the director. It doesn't respect their fellow actors or anyone else working on the movie. So uh, Stephen Dorff, um, he made these comments. He said, uh, I still hunt out the good stuff because I don't want to be in Black Widow. 
Um, it looks like garbage to me. It looks like a bad video game. I'm embarrassed for those people. I'm embarrassed for Scarlett, talking about Scarlett Johansson. Um, I'm sure she got paid five or seven million bucks, but I'm embarrassed for her. I don't want to be in those movies. I really don't. I'll find that kid director that's going to be the next Stanley Kubrick and I'll act for him instead. Um, yeah, and then uh, let's see. This year's Oscars were the most embarrassing thing I've ever seen. That's not that. It's not that rare for actors to to diss on the Oscars, I don't think. Um, I feel like everyone inside and outside the industry diss on the Oscars. Uh, my business is becoming a big game show. You have actors that don't have a clue what they're doing. You have filmmakers that don't have a clue what they're doing. We're all in these little boxes on these streamers, TV, film. It's all one big omni-shamble, I'll say. He says something else, but it's the same word. Uh, of content right now. Uh, what's really funny though is additionally, uh, Lou Ferrigno. Now, I don't think, uh, well, I guess he is taking a shot, but I think he's also bragging. Lou Ferrigno made a comment also this week uh, or last month um, talking about the MCU and DCU. He says, can't think of another superhero that isn't in costume or CGI work too hard on my diet and exercise for the Hulk. Wasn't going to let anyone down. Uh, the Hulk was my hero as a kid as well. Uh, I don't think that's entirely correct. Cause I mean, <laughs> I mean, I don't know how many steroids are being used by these actors, maybe quite a bit, but still, um, I mean, maybe Lou Ferrigno did also. I don't know. I don't have any insight knowledge about the modern people or the older people. Um, but like they, they're definitely getting in shape. They're definitely working out. Now, yes, the Hulk is now currently being generated with CGI, but it's also given us a much more intimidating presence of the Hulk rather than Lou Ferrigno's presentation of it, which was was great for the time and was great with what could be done but now that technology has the capability of giving us a supersized hulk that's that's awesome that's the hulk su supposed to be you know the hulk's supposed to be this massive dude um that's like twice the height and just like huge um there's a reason why hulk is an adjective for large things uh it's not just big man it's larger than life you know um but the reason why i talk about steven dorf um or because he he brought made these comments um i mean they are a bit harsher than than i think ethan hawk's comments were before he was cast so so maybe maybe he is coming out for blood but um get it blade reference um but yeah i don't get it because the the blade Blade movies have a lot of CG also. They're they're very, very product of their time in the 90s, you know? So, you know, is is he insulting his own, what, what he's also been a part of, uh, talking about the original Blade movie? Is he insulting that? I feel like he is, based on that description. Um, but sure, the superhero genre is not for everybody. It, ne it never was supposed to be. Um, it's, it's for people who like the stuff. It's clearly for me. Um, 
but uh, but I'll be the first one to say it's not for everybody. I completely understand why people don't like it. It's very tropey in a lot of ways. Now I think some of the movies we've gotten in the past uh, decade are, as opposed to the first decade of the two thousands, um, are some really game changing superhero films. Because like, oh, I don't want to do Black Widow. I don't want to be in this big name director, big name studio, big name uh, actors movie. Uh, because it's just a big action film, you know, that, and, and that's the thing. I think the action industry, not action industry, the action um, genre get a lot of hate. Cause there's a lot of just mediocre punch, punch action movies out there. But the thing is like, that's the genre in a lot of ways. Now. Yes, there are uh, movies that su- super surpass the genre and supersede the confinements of the genre. Uh, and those are the movies that everyone talks about, you know, and maybe Black Widow won't be one of them. Maybe it will. But like, there's a reason why people talk about Logan, you know, Logan. Sure. It's a superhero film. You could say that you could just be like, yeah, Logan's a superhero film. It's got a prominent actor. It's got Hugh Jackman, um, J- James Mangold directs a prominent director. Okay. Yeah. Superhero film. Great. Fun action movie. But it's so much more than that to anyone who's seen that. Like, just because you like superhero films doesn't mean you'd actually like Logan. But I actually think with Logan, it got the people who like superhero films. And then it also got people who don't like superhero films because that movie feels so different. It's completely just a Western. Uh, I don't even think it's much of a superhero film at all, other than the fact that a couple of people in the movie have superpowers. Um, But other than that, the story itself is just very Western genre. Um, And there's not even a, I mean, there's a fair bit of action, I guess. Yeah, I won't say that. But it's hard hitting action. It's very gritty. Um, and that's the way the entire film is, is it's, it's dirty, you know, it's, it's Brown. It's gross. Um, it's just such a Western. And so like, I don't totally get all, all of the hate the superhero genre gets. I think it's just because of the popularity about it. It's the fact that I'm sure she got paid five or 7 million bucks. Like what's, what's the point of saying that, you know, I feel like that's what the shot is at is that these movies make so much money probably more money than they're worth right because they're some of them are not are are less artistic than others but a lot of the actors are still getting paid some some of the bungo bucks um as if they are going to be widely successful maybe um and so like sure does it now attract more and more people to make these movies because the actors are so well paid because box offices are huge but yeah but i mean like if that's what the people want you know people pay people vote with their wallets um and right now they're voting superheroes i mean there was there's a long time where people were not voting superheroes um and i think people just need to acknowledge that the this shift is temporary but it happens to be where we are right now that doesn't mean there's no room for other things there clearly is room for a bunch of other things um i mean how often parasite what what a big blockbuster that film ended up becoming and like 
I don't know if 20 years ago that movie would have been discovered. Uh, I think people are just more open to things now. Um, and so superheroes are getting their time to shine, but also some of these uh, smaller productions that are just of insane quality also are getting their moments in a lot of ways. Uh, I, I still think the, the, the movies that are, are superstars are still being recognized. So I don't think it's stopping those from being recognized. I, I don't think people are going, well, if I watch black widow, I can't watch. I don't know what's coming out. Uh, I can't watch 1917 or I can't watch Quentin Tarantino's new movie. Like, yeah, no, people aren't saying that people are just going to go see both. It's not a big deal. Um, and some movies pay more than others. I guess that's the nature of the business, right? Cause some movies make more money than others. Um, and it's also funny cause like he, he kind of insults the idea that now it's more than just film. Now it's like there's streamers involved. Uh, and I think that's weird because, uh, I think the streamers have actually given a lot more opportunity to, what does he say? Find that kid director. That's going to be the next Stanley Kubrick. I think streaming services have actually given a lot more opportunity for uh, new directors. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, I think he's just a little upset right now, and that's fine. Um, he hasn't been in anything that I've watched recently anyways. So um, that's not to say that he hasn't been in anything good. I mean, that just means that I haven't gone to see a movie for him. So... Um, I love it to see when when <laughs> people people give their opinions and they're just very opinionated. But again, I'm giving my opinion. That, that's how I see these comments. Um, I wonder what other people think about them. Uh, I just always think it's funny when people insult the most financially lucrative aspect of their industry at the time. Um, like superheroes are bringing people back to the movie theaters that if he ever wants to act in a movie theater again, well, maybe he's got to consider some of these bigger budget movies. As I said, no sudden move didn't go to theaters and that movie should have. Um, maybe next year we will see those movies return to theaters, but, but this year wasn't one of them. Um, and so uh, in, in a lot of ways, these big budget movies are kind of saving the movie industry. They're certainly saving the existence of movie theaters. A lot of movie theaters were going to close down, but without the Godzilla versus Kongs, without the Black Widows, without the Fast and Furious Nines, uh, movie, a lot of movie theaters would probably close down. So without, without the big movies, there are no theaters for you to even have a, a theater movie. <laughs> um, rant over. Uh, last article... Black Widow director made a comment about a potential sequel. I haven't actually seen what this comment is. A lot of people are saying that the, the estimate for the box office for Black Widow, which comes out tomorrow, all right, I'm luckily going to get a chance to see it. I'm super excited. They're estimating the domestic box office to be 80 to $90 million. I've seen a lot of people considering it breaking $100 million, it being the first film of 2021 to break $100 million. Um, a lot of people are saying no question that it will be the first weekend to break $100 million, uh, but then also maybe the first film to do it single-handedly. 
um, at the domestic box office. I think it was possible. Fast and Furious 9 did 70 million and had a weekend box office, opening box office of like $97 million. So yeah, it just has to same but better. Could happen. Um, I definitely think it'll happen, actually. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say it'll happen. Black Widow will hit a hundred million dollars domestic box office. Um that being said. It is being shown day and date on Disney Plus, but with premiere access for $30. So you got to figure out what you want to do, you know. Um, where's this comment uh, about the director? Um, it's already gotten some glowing reviews, um, except for from Steven Dorf, obviously. <laughs> Let's see. Um, oh, they actually asked, uh, Deadline asked a few questions to the director, Kate Shortland. When the pandemic occurred and pushed Black Widow from its May 1st, 2020 date, uh, did it give them, you an opportunity to change anything in the film? Um, she says, no. Uh, what happened is we were about two weeks from finishing, so we were just fine-tuning the last visual effects when the pandemic happened. Uh, yeah, cool. She says a bunch of other things, but um, it was meant to be two weeks, but it probably took six weeks, but didn't really change anything. Uh, direct job, Taika Waititi. Let's see. Um, she showed a sizzle reel of what the film would be is how she got her job, just like Taika Waititi. Uh, let's see. Takes place during Civil War. She's on the run. She's totally alone when this all begins. Um, yeah, she doesn't have any pretense. It's just her standalone movie. Uh, was it based on any specific comic books? No. She worked with a Russian historian and created a backstory. We went back maybe two years into Russia, into Soviet two years two two years ago wasn't soviet russia so um i'm not quite sure what that means we looked at what her life would have actually been like before she came to america okay i feel like they meant 20 years <laughs> it says two years here but that doesn't make sense um what was her spiritual journey but i'm not gonna read that uh that's what the movie's for in credit sequence, um, they actually shot the in credit sequence back in the States rather than in Europe. Oh, I don't know what that means. Uh, Florence Pugh's joining the cast. Let's see. I'm trying to find these sequel comments. It's, it's a big interview. Um, well, we made this film to be seen in cinemas and it's not so it's not so much seen in cinemas. Um, it's felt what it's not so much seen in cinemas, it's felt in cinemas because we created the sound and the music and just the huge beautiful spectacle uh, was to be seen on the big screen, which is so true. I mean, how many of us have like movie studio sound or movie theater? sound quality in our homes uh, let alone screen quality remember uh, our screens at the end of the day have a resolution they they made this thing with film which means it's basically a picture which is just light burned onto film 
Um, so it's literally perfect resolution, you know, like it's like atomic or whatever. It's as small as a light particle, as small as a photon can be for accuracy. Um, except for the editing, of course, but, uh, I want people if they're safe to see it in that environment, but I know some people can't for a lot of reasons. So it's really cool that they'll still get to see the movie. Um, uh, this isn't really a spoiler, whatever. But um, here's the final question. Do you think there will ever be a sequel to Black Widow? And Kate Shortland, the director, said, I think these girls still have a lot of butt to still to kick. Um, she says these girls, which could mean just a continuation for Florence Pugh's character, which everyone's been speculating. Um, it'd be cool, though, if natasha came back in some way that'd be cool uh other than the fact that we're very much going into the 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 superhero family uh i don't know what else to call that phase <laughs> the superhero family uh story which is where everyone gets like four, surrounds themselves with like four or five people such as this movie that all have pretty much the same power set. Now, Red Guardian's a little different, which I appreciate. But they all have, like, the same power set. So, like, four Black Widows or something. Um, but you get, like... I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be... I, I think Red Guardian's close enough to where it's the same. Because I, I talk about it like Captain America, Bucky, and Falcon. Which, that's the way I prefer it, where they all actually have different power sets. But then on the flip side, you have Iron Man, Iron Heart, Rescue, War Machine, um, Invincible Iron Man, uh, Infamous Iron Man. Sorry, not Invincible. That's still just Tony. But Infamous Iron Man, Doctor Doom, with like same powers and whatnot, for the most part. Uh, so like, I'm not super into that when a bunch of heroes just have the same powers. I, I think sometimes their powers is what makes them unique. Um, since they all have traumatic backstories. So if they all have traumatic backstories and the same powers, aren't they just the same character? You decide. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think that is the last story for today. Uh, so we're, I'm going to go ahead and conclude uh, by saying, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, follow, wherever you listen to us. Uh, if you want to, Share your thoughts and theories. You could do what happened today. You can hop on uh, twitch.tv slash unanimous indecision and join the chat and share your thoughts about the movies or TV shows we're discussing. Um, again, uh, there probably won't, well, there definitely won't be a show next week at all. Um, Friday will be the last show. Um, and depending on how much gets done, will determine uh what's next the following in two weeks what what are those shows um at bare minimum we'll be doing loki episode five we'll maybe also be doing bad batch episode 11 um if i can get ian for the time we'll also do black widow because that's next week's movie but we'll just record it live on friday and then i'll post it to the podcast um so again that that's all friday's possibilities um otherwise if we're not able to do whatever we're not able to do maybe we'll do sunday or monday uh in two weeks so not this sunday or monday but the following sunday or monday after i get back uh and then 
that following Wednesday, I guess I can just talk about when I see, uh, I think it's supposed to be Space Jam 2 after Black Widow. So Black Widow, then Space Jam 2, and that's the next two weeks. Um, otherwise, I'm Joshua Troop, this is Unanimous Indecision. We'll